So let me read to you. I want to kind of start with just a little reading which kind of sets, sets the scene. It's from Luke 24. All the stuff this morning is from Luke 24. So if you've got your own Bibles or your phones or whatever, you can look it up. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then he remembered, they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. And he, oh, bear with me. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening, the day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen. And has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way. And how Jesus was recognised by them. When he broke the bread. Let me pray. Father God please open your word to us this morning. Please explain it to our hearts. We want to be like the two on the road. We want our hearts to burn within us. Um, as, we, uh, as we look at your scriptures just for a few moments this morning. Uh, and we ask it in your name. Amen. So I wonder whether, do you ever get the feeling that you've heard about Jesus but you don't really know him? You've never really met him. Maybe you've lived your life going to church but you just feel like I've been there but I just don't really know him. Well you think I've heard a lot but I've, I've never really met him. 
And even if you're not one of those people and you think, well, I have been in church and I've heard a lot and I have met Jesus along the way, well, I can assure you today that there is much more to see than you have even yet imagined about Jesus. And so today we're finishing off our, our series of Meals with Jesus. We've been doing a little series in the last few weeks if you've not been around. But don't worry, it's, this, today is all um, self-contained. We're two guys who have the truth about Jesus in front of their eyes, but they don't really, uh, but, they don't, but when they understand, he disappears. I think there's a huge kind of irony in this story. We'll see it all the way through. Um, two guys, they have the truth about Jesus in front of their very eyes. And the moment they, they realise it, he's no longer in front of their eyes. Why is that? We're going to ask that question as we go along. So the account begins with, on that same day. Um, it's the same day that the women have gone to the tomb uh, and, and found it empty. We know, from our reading of the account, um, that it's resurrection day, that Jesus is alive. But they don't know that yet. These two guys are heading to a village called Emmaus. It looks to me like they're heading home. They're giving up on this whole following Jesus enterprise. They think, uh, uh, it, it looked good for a while, um, but I'm ready to give up. It just hasn't worked out as I expected. And they're talking together about everything that's happened. And the words that are used tell us that it's getting a bit intense, getting a bit heated even. They're debating on what has happened to Jesus. And as they're doing that, a third figure um, draws up alongside them. Luke tells us it's Jesus, but they don't realise it. This is Jesus in his resurrection body. And the interesting thing, two interesting things. One is that it, even though this is Jesus, God incarnate, in a resurrection body, he just looks like another person. He, he just looks like another person. He's no different from another ordinary uh, human being. But equally, he's not immediately reckoned, even though he's come as an ordinary person, they don't recognise that this is uh, Jesus in the flesh. In fact, we're told that they're kept from recognising him. For whatever reason, Jesus and God the Father, they've decided they're just going to keep them in the dark for a little bit longer. And Jesus asks them what, what they're discussing. What are you talking about? What sort of things are you talking about? And they stop. You read that in the account. They've been walking along. And Jesus says, what, what kind of things happened in Jerusalem? They stop. And you can almost hear the guy go, it says, um, he comes back with a, with a sarky answer. Are you the only person who's been in Jerusalem and not noticed what has happened in the last few days? So, interestingly, the one named Cleopas, he turns around to Jesus and, and he says, effectively, how could you be so dim? It's a huge irony, isn't it? How could you be so dim? Are you the only person who, who doesn't know? Well, then tell me about it. Jesus says, tell me about it. And Cleopas and the other guys say, well, uh, it's about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet. He was powerful um, in words and deeds. Um, he, he did miracles. Um, he did amazing things that nobody else could have done. He taught with a kind of authority that was different from, from anybody else. He could have been the new Moses. Prophet powerful in word and deeds. That sounds like a kind of new Moses. But they say he was rejected by the, the priests uh, and the rulers. They, they handed him over to, to the Roman authorities to be sentenced to death and crucified. And we had hoped, we had hoped that he would 
redeem Israel. I think they're probably thinking in, in some ways of a political, uh, a political redemption, a day of political redemption. Israel was occupied by Rome and, and, uh, and governed by the Roman Empire. So maybe they're thinking that, that we were hoping that he would come and, and put Israel right politically, but maybe they're thinking religiously as well. But he was the one who would come and, and put us back right with God again. And now they say it's the third day. Why do they mention that? I, I don't really understand. They, they say now it's the third day. Why mention that unless, in a sense, they're expecting that on the third day, as Jesus has hinted along the way, that, that he will rise again. Now they say it's the third day. And then what do they say? We read it in the text. Um, they say, um, some of our women say that the body is not there. They've been to the tomb, but there's no body. The women who've been to the tomb come back and they say there's some angels who said that he was alive. Um, then some of our mates went to the tomb um, and, and they confirmed it, but they didn't see Jesus. What more? You've got to ask, what more do these two guys want? What more evidence do they need? They've seen miracles. Um, they've, they've heard a kind of teaching which, which rings with an authority that nobody else on earth has had. The women have gone to the tomb, the tomb is empty. Their mates have been, uh, and they've got it. What more do they want? And I think what they want, actually, is they want a resurrection appearance. It's almost like we've seen all this stuff, but we want to see Jesus, we want to see Jesus right in front of our eyes right now. How ironic. How ironic. The thing they say they need, the thing they say they want, is, is standing them, staring them in the face. And so Jesus rebukes them. He says, how foolish you are. He says to them, you pair of wallies. Okay, or something along those lines. You pair of wallies. How foolish you are. Foolish means um, they've just not been prepared to use their brains not use their mental faculties in order to understand it. They haven't been prepared to put their brains into gear. He says, how, how foolish and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. They've not been prepared to put their, their, their brains into gear. Um, they haven't been prepared to examine their hearts. They haven't used their emotional intelligence to realise where they stand before a, an almighty God. And they haven't listened to what the Spirit is, is saying to their hearts. And Jesus tells them the Messiah had to suffer. You guys think it's all over because Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross. Well, the Messiah had to suffer. And only then, Jesus says, be taken into his glory. Only then take on the ruling role that you thought he was going to have. And you thought that was going to be remove Roman occupation from Israel. Well, I tell you, it's a rule that's much bigger than that. Rule from heaven over God's people. And then it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. So he, he kind of, I guess, I don't know whether they had a Bible with them, but he started, he went back to the beginning and he said, look, the whole Bible, it talks about me. It speaks about me. And then around the, the meal table, Jesus acts as if he's going further. Um, and they urge him to stay, and he does. And when they get to the meal, suddenly Jesus is acting like the host. 
as, as the one in black would be the job, uh, the host job to, to break the bread. We don't know why, maybe he was the oldest, um, or maybe it's just the kind of sense of authority that he gave when he was on the road with his teaching. Uh, maybe they've invited him to break bread, but Jesus breaks bread, and we're told that their eyes are opened, um, that God opens their eyes, and then he disappears. It's an amazing thing about Jesus, the risen Jesus, his resurrection body, and one moment is like it has the capacity of another man on the street. And the next moment has the capacity of almighty God just to, to be removed from their sight. And then ironically, <coughs> the moment they, re they realise who he is, he disappears. And actually they're not really surprised. They're not really surprised. They say, didn't our hearts burn? Didn't our hearts burn when he was, was teaching on the road? A fire had already be, begun to be kindled as the, as the Bible was, was explained to them on the, on the road. And so they run back to Jerusalem. Not necessarily the same day, but the account tends to, to read in that direction. They run back to Jerusalem. Uh, but before they get to tell the story, they hear Peter's story. And Peter's story is that he's seen the risen Lord. He's seen the risen Lord. That's the account you get in 1 Corinthians 15. It says that um, he appeared to, to Peter. Otherwise, we don't read about that account anywhere else in, in the Bible. And then finally, they, they, get to give, they get to give their side of the story that they recognised by him when he broke bread. So what about you? What about you this morning? What about you um, and Jesus th this morning? So these two are recorded... I think to make us think about ourselves. And I think actually this reason why they were kept from seeing uh, and then could see later on, I think as well that's given for us to explain. Um, it's a little bit of history, real history, but it's done in that way for, for God to make a point. That we have enough evidence to see that Jesus is risen, to live in the light of it without ever seeing him face to face. I think that's the point this morning. You have enough evidence in front of you that Jesus is risen, Jesus is alive, Jesus is real, Jesus is God incarnate. You, you have that evidence and he is here this morning and he is real. But it's very rare that you get to see him face to face. My brother-in-law says, I met Jesus the same way I met you. But that's very rare and special occurrences of Jesus given to on, on very rare occasions, and most of us, we have to live with the, with the invisible Jesus. But the evidence is there. You have the Old Testament, which predicts Jesus. Maybe you've never read it as speaking about Jesus. Well, then hang around, come here, hear it taught, join a home group, read it for yourself. But use your brain. He says to them, you're, you're foolish. You're foolish, and, and foolish means you've just not engaged your brain. You've just not been bothered enough to think you, that this is going to take a little bit of intellectual work. And it is going to take a little bit of intellectual work to understand about Christ. Not much. And sometimes I think as Christians, we sometimes think we've got to switch our brains off to really believe in God. Or people who, who aren't Christians think that Christians have switched their brains off to think about God. Well, in which case, I, I, I commend this book to you, God's Undertaker, um, by John Lennox. 
really good um, explanation of how science points you towards Christ and not away from it. You don't have to switch your brain off. In fact, you have to do the opposite. You have to engage your brain. You have the resurrection testimony. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. So Matthew was an eyewitness. Mark records Peter's account. He was an, eye, he was an eyewitness. Um, Luke is a historian who gathers other people's accounts. And John is an eyewitness. You have three eyewitness accounts and one account that gathers them all together. Uh, and then you have a little, um, in 1 Corinthians 15, at the beginning, you have a, um, Paul's little list. People who saw Jesus alive after he was dead. You need to read it need to think about it and then you need to engage your heart in the same way that a jury engages their heart i'm not suggesting this is an emotional decision but a, a jury looks at everyone and says is this true is this not true and they still do that every day of the week poor old sam's being called up for jury duty bless him um, so he's gonna have to do that in a few weeks time um, it's what you have to do you look at evidence and you say is it true is it not true what does it actually say the testimony is here but the irony is, in, in our generation, we're quite, there are people who are saying, but I'm not going to believe it unless Jesus appears in front of my face and says, here I am. And I think Jesus would say to you this morning, how foolish. How foolish. Put your brain to work. Allow your heart to be set on fire. Come to the scriptures. Just pick one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And read it for yourself. And when you read, if you read honestly and asking God to come and speak to you, is that when you read, he sets your heart on fire. Sets your heart on fire. But that voice of the, of the Holy Spirit is sometimes very quiet. Sometimes very quiet. If you're doing things that, that, that are really uh, not in God's good plan, not according to God's good ways of living, then you, you squash out. You tend to squash out that voice of the Holy Spirit. He's very quiet. You have to make time. Maybe you have to put down for a moment the things that you think might offend God to give you time to come to the scriptures and read and allow your heart to be to be set on fire. And then I think maybe, just maybe, like these two guys, you will realise Jesus is right in front of your face. Jesus is right in front of your face. He is right next to you. In fact, for those of you who, who welcoming, welcome him, he is personally present today, now, but invisible. It's present here and now by the Spirit of God, right in front of your face. You're not going to get a resurrection experience. Chances are. But Jesus says this, here I am. I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It, it's a picture of having a real living fellowship with Christ. But he says, here I am. 
And he says that to you this morning. Here I am, now, here, right now, in this church, in this building. I stand at the door, the door of your door, the door of your heart and knock it. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, that's your job. Open the door. I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. If you don't invite him like those two guys to come in and eat, he, he will walk on by. He'll walk on by and maybe you won't get the chance again. So you're ready to open the door. You need to be ready to make him king when he comes in. That's one of the implications of opening the door. When you open the door, you need to recognise you're not worthy of such a guest. He only comes in... Uh, when you accept what he's done on the cross and you accept that you're in the wrong and he's in the right. But he comes in forgiving. And he comes in as you trust that his body on the cross was given for you. This is my body, he says in the bread. And maybe that's what they remembered at that meal table. This is my body given. Given for you. This is a gift. He says, I accept it and open the door. So he's risen. That's the good news of Easter Day. Jesus is risen. He's not dead. Jesus is alive. Uh, Jesus is not only alive. If he's alive, he is here. Um, and if he's here, then maybe he's knocking. Maybe he's knocking on the door for you. And you have a simple question to answer. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I want to tell you another little story with, with the help of um, some of the guys with the worship team. So if the worship team want to come back up. We've had this story before. Sorry, I lost track of the PowerPoint, didn't I? As I usually do when I get to that point. <laughs> One day Jesus is going to throw um, the best party ever. We, we call that heaven. One day Jesus is going to um, throw the best party ever. And so he told a parable, which is a story one day, to teach him about who will be, who the guest will be at this amazing party. Uh, and this is the very final story in Meals with Jesus. So the, the parable, the story is about a big man having a party um, and he's, he's given out the invitations. He's thrown out loads of invitations and then the day of the party's arrived and he's all excited and the tables are set and the food's ready, he's just waiting and it's like the doors are open and he's just waiting for the guests to arrive. And so many people have been invited and he just couldn't wait. But then something very strange happened and... Nobody came. And they all started to make excuses one by one. I'm so sorry. I've just bought this fantastic field. And I just need to um, uh, check that there's some grass is all there, um, where it should be. S sorry. Uh. And the second guy said? Oh, no, I have really stuffed up. I know I said I could come, but I've just bought 10 prize cattle, and um, I'm um, going to check they've all got legs. <laughs> Third guy. Oh, 
This is so awkward. In my diary today, I was totally free, and I really planned to come to your party, but you're not going to believe this. I woke up this morning, and remember that I've just got married, so I want to stay home with my wife instead. Sorry. <laughs> so the rich man wanted his party, he wanted his party filled with, with lots of people. Um, but what about these excuses? They're, they're all good things, they're important things, but the field could wait. I think the cows could wait a bit. And the, the man could bring his wife. They were good things. But there are always things that are going to get in the way of that decision of saying yes to the invitation that Jesus makes to you. And so in this story, um, the man goes out and he says, just find lots of people. He says, find lots of people. And they went out into the town uh, and they found lots of people. And there was still space. The servant came back to him and said, there's still space in the party. And, and he said, go out into the, the hedges and the highways and the byways uh, and bring in um, people that nobody would expect. So the outcasts, people that nobody really wants, the sinners. If you think back to the meals with Jesus, you called the tax collectors, called the prostitutes, called all kinds of people that wouldn't be expected. He says, the people who were invited, they didn't take up the invite. Said, but this party is going to be full, so go out and invite a whole load of other people instead. Nice guys. So the question still remains then. Are you going to take up the invite? Have you taken up the invite to the party? Have you um, opened the door to Jesus coming and eating with you now? And then if you do that today, then one day when Jesus makes, comes back and makes everything new, then you will see him face to face. Then you will see him like these two guys on the Emmaus Road did and be able to live in a perfect new world forever. So we're going to sing some. We're going to finish with, with um, Happy Day. Um, and uh, let me just finish sharing my screen. There we go. Oh, happy day. When, when Jesus washed my sins away. It's a happy day on Easter Day. It's a happy day on that day when you accept the invitation to the banquet by inviting Jesus um, into your life. So we'll stand and sing and then at the end, if that's touched you this morning I want you to come and, and just speak to me um, find time to come and just uh, deal with Jesus and we can talk about inviting him into your life.